Welcome to Life on Earth, The Peace Project, a podcast that teaches you how to connect with the divine and transform darkness into light through topics from yoga to nature and ultimately love. Join your host, Natalie Kwa, to celebrate and encourage diversity, peace and global equality, one earthling at a time. Welcome to Life on Earth podcast. I'm at Shanti Yoga Shala in New Orleans. Yay. So I'm with uh, our 200-hour teacher training group. We're sitting at the Shala and we had a very wonderful weekend. So I'm going to see who wants to come first. (laughs) Anybody has a question? Did you have one? Reagan had a question, so you could start. Okay, I'm Reagan, and I'm from New Orleans. I had a question about when you wanted me to use the assist, to use the belt, and is it because you wanted me to open more in my chest, and or what was the reason? Okay, so um, this Reagan is asking about a posture called Parshvatanasana, which in English, what is the name for that pose, uh, Rachel? Parshvatanasana, cow face pose, which I had never heard that before, but you guys can look it up. Yeah, so basically we were doing uh, gomukasana arms, and you you need a strap so you can catch your hands. So Mm -hmm. I'll tell everyone how this would look like. If you're standing up, inhale, lift your right arm up, and then bend your elbow, and then bring your left arm all the way behind you, and you can catch both hands behind you. In this particular case of our yoga sequence today, we inhale there and exhale fold forward. So unless you're extremely open on your shoulders, this posture is about opening the shoulders and drawing the shoulder blades back and creating more space for the shoulders and the neck. Unless you are extremely open on your shoulders, when you fold forward, you're going to begin to curve your upper back if you don't have the length and the space with which the belt really assists with that. So the belt is a great thing because yoga props, if if utilized correctly, they can become an, an enhancement in your practice. We don't want to use props when they are a handicap, meaning if there's absolutely no reason to get too comfortable with a prop that you can, you know, move for, further. But in many cases, a prop, a block, or a belt will actually get you to go deeper in the pose and to access parts of your body that you generally would not be able to have that access because maybe like when you're folding forward, you can't put your hands on the floor yet because your hamstrings are tight. So you bring the block a little higher and then you put your hands on the block. So by in that sense, we're bringing the floor higher up with the block. So the belt for you was because your shoulders were a little tight. So it was preventing your the rotation and the openness in this pose, particularly and especially when we were, I knew we were going to fold forward. So by putting the block there and have you catch that block and still work the shoulder, bring the shoulder blades in towards one another, and then with the breath, inhale length and exhale, fold forward, and keep working the shoulders. Because once we got down there, we were holding the pose for a good five breaths. So in that sense, even though you're static, meaning 
any yoga pose, if you're static, inhale, exhale, you're, there's still some subtle movements. Usually is that with the inhalation, you lengthen a little more. With the exhalation, you release and you go a little deeper in the pose, even if that's like a fraction of, you know, the space. But so there's that mobility. We don't want to create stagnation in a yoga pose. We want to have some space so we can allow the breath work, so can, we can allow the body to continue to open. And that's why the belt in that particular sense made a lot of sense so that your body could actually continue to evolve, to open. Instead of if a person's having too much of a hard time not getting, getting into the pose, which will affect, affect their breath and the quality of their breath. And they'll start, you know, you'll notice like there's rounding and there's some energy, prana, stagnation. Then that is, that's not beneficial because then there's a stagnation. There's no flow. And we always want to keep the prana. We want to keep the flow moving in every pose. So that made, uh, that was good that you did that. It was great. Yeah. Thank you for asking that. Yeah. So I guess if you're listening to this and you feel that a posture is feeling restrained for you and you're practicing yoga poses, um, make sure you have some props available. Blocks are great and belts are great. It will be wonderful. It will really be an assist. And it doesn't mean you have to practice like that for the rest of your life. It might be, you know, think about yoga practice as a laboratory, an experimentation. So do it for a week, for two weeks, three weeks, three months, maybe a year. You know, check in with yourself consistently and then see your progress. See where you're going. If you do live in a city that has uh, yoga studios, find a good teacher. Find somebody that had a good training and that you connect with and that can really assist you with giving you some tools so that you can not only deepen your practice but do it safely because we we say it here at Shanti all the time in our trains yoga is for lifelong practice so happy lifelong practice happy safe lifelong (laughs) I like that anyone else my name is Rachel Hare and I'm from I'm from New Orleans and I heard someone say that yoga need like one hour of yoga nidra is the equivalent of how many hours of regular sleep? How how is that true? Like what that's was great. This? That's a great question. Like I've been wondering that. Yeah. So yoga nidra is a wonderful technique, and if if you don't know what yoga nidra is, because you might not. There's actually an episode that I recorded on my podcast that it's a yoga nidra um, class. And so you can just do it. It's a healing technique is extremely powerful. So it is said that one hour of yoga nidra is the equivalent of four hours of sleep because it puts your body in this extremely relaxation mode. There's a very specific way that the yoga nidra teacher instructs the student or the person to guides the person to release. And it's by bringing, it's a certain rhythm and it's by bringing your attention into that part of your body. Almost like, think about it as everything is energy again, like almost like acupuncture that goes into certain spots and there's a certain way to do it and then it opens certain channels. The way, the mythology that we teach yoga nidra and that a a teacher will guide you puts your body in the state almost like, I don't want to say hypnosis because it isn't, but it is a technique 
like that, that you drop from the outer levels of consciousness and awareness into deeper levels of consciousness. So deeper layer layers of your subtle body begin to open. So for example, imagine like peeling the layers of an onion and that's kind of what you're doing and you're getting to the core of like consciousness, quiet, peaceful state of mind. So I have friends who have insomnia and can't sleep at night. And instead of being up for eight hours or five hours or whatever and being really frustrated, they do a yoga nidra practice. And there's many on YouTube nowadays as well. And you do a yoga nidra practice and you just get to relax, you know. You relax. Even if you don't sleep, if you don't fall asleep in your yoga nidra practice, those of you who have insomnia, you can at least put yourself in a calm state of mind. So that you can, you know, rest and not have anxiety and feel peaceful, feel harmonious. It's a wonderful tool. With that said, because I know some people might be listening and teach yoga nidra, during the day, if you, you know, most likely if you go to a yoga nidra class, the teacher will try to maintain you awake. Like yoga nidra is like, it's, we ask that the teacher, the, the person does not sleep. So there's techniques for that. When I teach, sometimes I touch my students' feet so they wake up. But that's usually an hour class, an hour and a half. But if someone has insomnia, then of course, if you're doing any, you know, night practice that will help you relax, then allow yourself to just drift away. But yeah, if in that, that's a, that's a great thing. So half an hour of yoga nidra is about considered about two hours of sleep, which is great too. Because if you only have half an hour, then do half an hour. There's lots of different uh, little audios that have like half an hour, even 20 minute, like really nice practices. They do. I don't, I don't, she asked if they have studies on brain waves. They do. I don't have like the statistics here to, to talk about it, but they definitely do. And you guys can look that up for sure. Yeah, they do. They have measure people, you know, the same way that is meditation with the um, CAT scans and the MRIs and all that. Any questions that, uh, from what we talked about yesterday or anything like that too? Or anything else? Hello, this is Maddie, and I'm from New Orleans. Um, We've spent a lot of time this weekend creating and talking about how to sequence classes. And I know that I like to always plug in a pose that either I'm working on or something that I really like. And I was wondering what pose you might be in particularly working on or really like that you seem to sneak into most of the classes that you, you sequence and create. But you mean like, okay, I have a question for you. You mean like a pose that I'm like attached to that I love? Yes. Or do you mean like a pose that I want my students to do? Something that you love. At least that's okay. how I do okay. my sequences. So or, stay here. Don't okay. leave. You actually are calling me out right now on something. Because I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking about this. Okay. Here's the thing. In yoga, we learn about non-attachment. And so I have tried a lot to to not have that. I have I have almost like made it a point to not have that anymore with poses and really tried to let go so that I love them equally. 
they're all equally valuable. With that said, now that you said that, <laughs> I'm like, what am I, am I doing this? Okay, there is a pose that I really love. And I do, I just realized that I'm doing that. And I hope it is for the highest good of everyone. I mean, I don't think I'm damaging anyone, but at the same time, it's like definitely something to look at because, um, well, the idea of non-attachment is that we don't, basically when I'm sequencing my classes, I, I just think, I don't necessarily think about poses anymore, even though I teach, uh, if you're my 200 hour, I teach about, think about a peak pose and how do you get there and how to come out. But nowadays, I've been teaching for so long, I think more of a, um, a state of mindset. That's what I think. I think of like shifting energy. So depending on what's going on in the city that I live or the city that I'm teaching and depending on what's going on with the time of the year and also the time of the class and also who's in the class. So what I'll do is I'll create a sequence to shift the particular energy of that space in that time of the day for those beings that are in the room. So if I feel, an example would be like, if I feel uh, that the community is very anxious and I feel like the community, the, the energy is a little heavy, then I'll try to create a class um, to, you know, uplift the vibration and the energy of the room a little more. So I'll, I'll pick postures that will have that kind of effect into the class and I'll pick so that will say, that will give me an idea of like do I want to do more restorative poses or do I want to do more twists should I if if it's like super if the energy super happy I don't remember when I was teaching it was like recently one of you might have been in the class but it was a Friday and there was some kind of festival going on and everybody looked really happy it was like people were going out to the festival after so I'm I came in thinking I was going to do like a a, a a mellow class and then the energy was so upbeat and it was, it was like the beginning of a weekend, Friday. So I chose to do a really high vibration, like a, an arm balance class. And we did a ton of arm balance and we, you know, we did even this little contest, which I totally don't usually do, but it was like holding plank for one minute. And, and it was fun. It was a really fun, upbeat class. I used music that was very upbeat, even with some wordings like, like Bob Marley and stuff, which I don't always use. I don't even always use music. But it was the, the, it was kind of what I was feeling for that weekend. And when people completed the class, they felt like they had tons of energy and they felt they were like, oh, my God, that was so much fun. And they felt like it was it felt like, OK, let's all go have fun now. So that's like the mindset, you know, that's kind of what I focus on mostly when I'm teaching a class nowadays is like, what kind of energy do I want to bring? And sometimes it's something really simple as just creating balance, like, you know, maybe not to um, one way or the other, just like being equanimity, like creating a class that's well balanced, like with some externals, some neutrals, just a lot of times Mondays, it's like touching in, like touching base, you know, like I see Mondays is like there's everybody coming from the weekend and I'm like, oh, let's do a class that's going to really promote equanimity. I know this answer is not as exciting as you were hoping, but the, the pose that you called me out for that I do feel now that I have an attachment, okay, I'm going to have to sit and meditate with this. It's handstand. <laughs> handstand, I'm really attached to you. <laughs> I know this is like not. Wait, I, what is your pose? 
Well, I'm I'm very much into my handstands right now. <laughs> you trying too. To, trying to get off the wall with them. Wait, is it because so, you're coming to my classes I too mean, much? Maybe, maybe that's it too. <laughs> maybe I feel that like I'm very like empowering. I'm like injecting them to you. Yeah, I'm okay with it though. Stay. Don't move just yet. Okay. So here's the thing. Handstand. Yes, I love handstand. And to answer your question, I I love practicing them, and I also notice that I've been teaching it a lot because I love it so much. Now, the reason why I love handstand as an inversion is because you're not on your head. So postures like like shoulder stand are shoulder stands a risk factor pose. So is headstand, sirsasana. So, you know, those poses you compromise your neck. And I love handstand because even though in the beginning it might be scary for a new student to get into handstand, but a lot of times if if I teach, I'm very fortunate that I teach regularly at the same studio. So that means I create a relationship with my students and I'm seeing them continuously. A lot of times I will know when a student is ready to go upside down. Even if they don't know, I'm like, ah, she's ready or he's ready. And I'll bring them to the wall and I'm like, I'm with you. Let's do it. It's kind of that thing of face your fears. And the first thing I do is I put them into half handstand and I just check that out and I'm there. And then, you know, once a lot of times, believe it or not, when a person goes into the handstand the first time, whether it's the full one or the half one, it totally shifts their energy. They're like, what? I just did this. Oh my God. And then the next day they're in my class and they're like doing it. They're like going to the wall already without, you know, and I'm like, okay, for eight months, you were like avoiding that. It took me kind of almost holding their hand that first time, not in a disempowering way. Cause I don't believe in that. We talk about in the trainings, you know, we, we, we want everybody to be self-sufficient to be independent and to not be dependent on a teacher. But sometimes with inversions, that's kind of how you break it, especially if it's somebody that you know that, yes, yeah, still, and it's great because it builds arm strength, it builds strength on your whole body, it gets the blood flow to reverse, I mean, it's just, a, and it's really, like, powerfully, like, it's a powerful pose, you feel great, it's invigorating, like, you feel awakened when you do that pose, yeah, it's awesome. Thank you for asking that, Maddie. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hi, my name is Misty Milioto. I'm from New Orleans. And my question is, you know, as we're all yoga teachers in training, um, what would you say is your biggest or maybe best piece of advice maybe that you've learned from other teachers or just, you know, specifically coming from you that you would give to us before releasing us out into the world? For like new, you can stay there too in case I have a question for you because I might. (laughs) Yes, as far as new teachers. Okay, so in terms of like a new teacher, like new teacher, like if I was just starting to teach yoga, Mm -hmm. what would be uh, an advice that I'd give myself? Yes. I would say my biggest advice is be your most authentic self. And that means, um, yes, learn, like get as much knowledge as you can from trusted people. people, you know, from resources that you trust. So I love about reading, there's a very yana, yana yoga thing, which is the yoga of knowledge and wisdom. I love learning, like most of you too, because you're in a teacher training. So I, yeah, read the books, look at, you know, Google stuff, look at things and do the best trainings you could possibly do. Keep learning, go into workshops and learning from teachers. However, with that said, at the end of the day, 
the material that we learn and everything that we learn, we need to filter it through our own experience and our own eyes. So it's whatever it is that resonates with your soul. And it's a, it's a lesson that I learned the hard way. This is, this is why you asked me what's the most first lesson. I said this is for sure because more than anything, because I remember my first year of teaching yoga, I lived in, um, actually, no, I lived here, but it was one of my first years that I lived yoga, I, that I was teaching yoga. I lived in L.A., and everywhere, you know, I say LA, but anywhere can be highly competitive. And I feel I was, you know, trying to compete with other yoga teachers in my market and trying to compete with compete. Even the word compete is not yogi, if you think about it, right? right. So it's like, so if I'm trying to be like my teachers or trying to, to, to just because somebody else had a big following, and nowadays it's Instagram. Like it could, you could refer to that. Like a person has an Instagram following. Oh, so they're doing all this, so you have to do it too. My answer would be no. Because if you do that, it's not your truth. And if you're, if you're living, if you do it because it's your truth, then great, more power to you. But if you do it because somebody else is doing it, it's just not going to work out. Mm -hmm. The universe doesn't work like that. The laws of the universe don't work like that. So and the people that you will attract to your class are the people that exactly the people who are going to resonate with you. And not only that, that they need you. Because we need you in the world. We need every single person that's here teaching their own way to their own group of people. Because if you are not, if you are not the fullest expression of who you are, then you will never exist. And how crazy is that? Very crazy. I, I know. I thought, I mean, one of my teachers said that the other day. And I was like, it's not only you're not going to be living your fullest potential, but your blueprint will not exist on this planet. And everyone is here on a mission. Everyone is here, you know, to fulfill something. Mm -hmm. I believe in that. So you teach however you feel, use the words that you feel comfortable, dress however you feel comfortable. If you want to teach at a gym, teach at a gym. If you don't want to own, don't own. If you want to only teach in yoga studios, teach in yoga studios. If you want to own 10 times, own 10 times. It doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the beauty of it yeah. is just to say, okay, what inspires me and how can I show up for this in a way that I'm not only inspiring my own self, but the other people around me? So yeah. the question for me really is, how are ways that you all, as yoga, new yoga teachers, what are ways that you can find to inspire your own life, to, feel, to fulfill your own soul, your heart? Because... If you do that, you'll be a better teacher. You know, you need to connect with the true essence of who you are. And so there's many things that a human being can do. There's many inspiration. One, it could be walking in nature. It could be, you know, I love horse, but it could be anything that, what is it that fires your soul? And do more of that. Because the more you guys get in tune with who you are and what you love and joy, People that are around you will notice that, and they will love that. And ultimately, the best teachers are the ones that are, you know, not also like kind, 
you know, kind, like just good people, you know, and that's, to me, that's kind of what's inspiring. Of course, and that's the reason why I have a teacher training is because of course, like this is a body temple and this is the only one we have right now. And I do want to take good care of it. So with that said, you know, if you're teaching anything physical, you want to have proper alignment. You want to have, you, you, you want to make sure that the sequences are good and that we're taking care of our, you know, our physical existence on this planet, for sure. We're spiritual beings having a human existence, but yet we're still in this human body. So we do want to make sure that we go to good yoga class, good teacher. That's why I always tell you all, keep learning, keep growing, do the good trainings, read the good books, and then have fun, you know, have fun with life and have fun with everything that will inspire you to become a better version of who you are because then you'll inspire people around you. And that's ultimately, that's, you know, we go to yoga, we want it to be a great experience. That's... Yeah, I love that. Thank you. That was a great answer. Thank you, Misty. All right. Well, are we good? Yeah? Okay. Well, thank you everyone for this weekend and thank you everyone Life on Earth for sitting with us. Much love. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Life on Earth. You can help us by taking a few minutes to leave a rating and review on iTunes. For more inspiring content, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Search Life on Earth in iTunes or visit lifeonearth.podbean.com.